Welcome to the February 10, 2023 regular meeting of the San Francisco Ethics Commission. Our minutes will reflect that this hybrid meeting is being held pursuant to the 45th Supplement to Mayoral Proclamation declaring the existence of a local emergency dated February 25th 2020 and is being held subject to the conditions of this proclamation. Today's meeting is being live cablecast on SFGov TV2 and streamed on live online at sfgovtv.org ethicslive. For public comment, members of the public may attend in person or may participate by phone or the WebEx platform as explained in our agenda document. Uh, moderator, can you please explain how the remote public comment will be handled today? Thank you, Madam Chair. Public comment will be available on each item of this agenda. Each member of the public will be allowed three minutes to speak. For those attending in person, opportunities to speak during the public comment period will be made available there in room 400 City Hall. For those attending remotely, public comment period can also be provided via phone call by calling 1-415-655. 0001. Again, the phone number is 1-415-655-0001. Access code is 2488-117-8422. Again, the access code 2488-117-8422, followed by the pound sign, and then press pound again to join as an attendee. For callers, you will hear a beep when you are connected to the meeting. You will automatically be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to raise your hand to be added to the public comment line. You will then hear, you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait until the host calls on you. The line will be silent as you wait your turn to speak. Ensure that you are in a quiet location. Before you speak, mute the sound of any equipment around you, including television, radio, or computer. It is especially important that you mute your computer if you are watching via the web link to prevent feedback and echo when you speak. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your turn to speak. You will hear staff say, welcome caller. We encourage you to state your name clearly. As soon as you begin speaking, you will have three minutes to provide your public comment, six minutes if you're online with an interpreter. You will hear a bell go off when you have 30 seconds remaining. If you change your mind and wish to withdraw yourself from the public comment line, Press star three again. You will hear the system say you have lowered your hand. Once your three minutes have expired, staff will thank you and mute you. You will hear your line has been muted. Attendees who wish to speak during the other public comment periods may stay on the line and listen for the next public comment opportunity and should raise their hands to enter the public comment line by pressing star three when their next item of interest comes up. Public comment may also be submitted in writing and will be shared with the commission after this meeting has concluded and will be included as part of the official meeting file. Written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Once again, written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. I now call the meeting to order. Clerk, please roll call. Agenda item number one. Commissioners, please verbally indicate your presence by saying aye after your name is called. Commissioner Bush. Commissioner Bush. Okay. Uh, Commissioner uh, Flores Feng. Aye. Commissioner Finlith. Aye. Uh, Chair Lee. Aye. Commissioner Romano. Aye. Commissioner Bush. Yes. 
Chair Lee with five, mem five members present and accounted for, you have a quorum. Thank you, and uh, let the record reflect that Commissioner Bush is participating remotely per um, current rules exemption. With that, uh, agenda item number two, which is public comment on matters not appearing on the agenda. Mr. Moderator, do we have anyone? Oh, my apology. Uh, we have one uh, person who wants to speak. Go ahead, please. All right, you will have three minutes. And Thank you. Now. <clears throat> my name is Winship Hillier. Um, I realize that you have had 50 plus complaints dumped on you from a single member of the public regarding the Sunshine Ordinance task, uh, re regarding the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, and my complaint uh, is similar to those, but different. Um, I submitted it on December 31st of last year, and I still do not have a determination of whether you have jurisdiction over it. And um, I was contacted by Mr. Eric Willett, uh, who told me that the case number was 2223-049, that's 2223-049, um, and that he would be working on this, but I, it's been 40 days now. I think that's a bit long just to determine whether uh, you have jurisdiction. Back to you, Madam Chair. Thank you. And we'll, we'll make sure that Mr. Willett will uh, get in contact with you for follow-up. Thank you. Mr. Moderator, do we have anyone waiting in, in queue? Thank you, Madam Chair. For remote participants, if you joined the meeting early to listen to the proceedings, now is the time to get in line to speak. Members of the public who are already on, on the line and wish to provide public comment on matters not appearing on the agenda under item number two should now dial star three or raise your hand in WebEx if you have not already done so to be added to the public comment line. Once you are in the queue and standing by, the system will prompt you and be, it'll be your turn to speak. We ask that you please address your comments to the commission as a whole and not to individual members. Please stand by as we check the queue. Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Great. Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, good morning, David Pilpel. Um, so on item two, general public comment, um, I just have a brief question is item 12E, the closed session probable cause determination item, still being heard today. I'll have other comments later in the meeting. If you could address that, that would appear to be an agenda change if it is not being heard. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Carl. If I may respond, uh, I think that item has been tabled to March meeting. Please stand by as I check for other callers in the queue. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. Public comment is closed. We now go to agenda item number three, which is consent uh, three, four, five, and six, which is consent calendar. As noted on the agenda, there will be no separate discussions on the consent calendar item unless a request is made by a commission member or a member of the public in attendance, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item. If any commissioner asks to discuss item, that item will be taken up following action on the consent calendar items on the regular 
calendar for discussion and action. Does any commission member wish to discuss any item on the consent calendar? I see none. Um, so, so um, does any member of the public or in person wish to provide public comment on the consent calendar? If not, Mr. Moderator, do we have any members of the public waiting in queue for this comment? Thank you, Madam Chair. Please stand by. Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Okay. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Uh, David Pilpel again. Um, so at least one thing that I noticed in the minutes, and because I had to uh, PDF the minutes, it, I can't really give you a page reference. Uh, this is on the January 13th uh, minutes on item seven, just before public comment, uh, refers to Commissioner Romano as Commission Romano. So I would suggest just uh, changing that word from commission to commissioner. Um, and then just in general, on the minutes, I have not looked at your minutes uh, recently. It is, in my experience, um, unusual to, um, it, it's not a problem to make a first reference uh, to someone with their uh, full name, but the subsequent references to just someone by their last name without a title or a full name or a reference to gender or anything is just odd. So um, by way of example, on that same page, uh, Wong made an introductory statement to the commission. It just strikes me as um, unusual in, in the way that the city uh, does minutes at, at various uh, bodies. Um, I, I don't think there's anything illegal or wrong about it. I would just ask you and uh, staff to think about how uh, to uh, characterize uh, subsequent references to an individual. I'm also noticing under um, public comment related to item eight, the closed session, I believe Gary Winnick, the attorney for the respondent, uh, is actually spelled W-I-N-U-K. Uh, and if I notice anything else that's of a clerical nature like that, I'm happy to uh, bring that up to staff so as not to take up more time of this meeting, which might run long anyway. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Please stand by as I check to see if we have any further callers in the queue. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, public comment on the consent calendar is now closed. Commissioners, to, since there are no further discussions, um, do I entertain a motion to adopt the consent calendar first? I, item number three, resolution on the continuation of remote hybrid commission meetings. <clears throat> item number four, draft minutes of the Ethics Commission January 13, 2023 regular meeting. Item number five, draft minutes of the Ethics Commission January 20, 2023 special meeting. And item number six, acting executive director's report highlighting various departmental programs, operations, and staff news. Do I have a motion? Sure, I move. So I think item six is discussion purposes only, but I move to adopt items three, four, and five. Um, in number four, which is the draft minutes for January 13th, 
I suggest we confirm the correct spelling of the gentleman's last name mentioned at public comment. But other than that, I, I move to adopt those items. Okay, as amended. Any second? Second. Okay. Roll call, please. On the motion to adopt the consent calendar, Commissioner Bush? Aye. Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Finlith? Aye. Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Romano? Aye. Madam Chair, with five votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Thank you. Now we go to agenda item number seven, which is election of commission officers for 2023 per ethics commission's bylaws, article four, section one. I ask acting executive director Dykendale to provide an overview of the process for the nominating and electing officers for the committee. Thank you, Madam Chair. The Commission's bylaws do not provide for a specific method for election of its officers. The Commission has customarily employed the following process. The Chair will open nominations for Chair. Any Commissioner who wishes to nominate a candidate for Chair will state the name of that person. If that person agrees to run, that person is nominated. Commissioners may also self-nominate for Chair. When there are no further nominations and following any public comment, the chair will close the nominations and take a roll call vote in which each commissioner shall state the name of the nominee for whom he or she is voting. If a nominee receives three or more votes, that person is elected chair for a one-year term starting in uh, March 1st. If no nominee receives three votes, the commission may have further discussion and proceed to another vote. This process shall repeat until one nominee has received three or more votes. Following action to elect a chair, the chair will then open nominations for vice chair, which will follow the same process. Any commissioner who wishes to nominate a candidate for vice chair will state the name of that person. If that person agrees to run, that person is nominated. Commissioners may also self-nominate for vice chair. When there are no further nominations and after public comment, the chair will close the nominations and take a roll call vote in which each commissioner shall state the name of the nominee for whom he or she is voting. If a nominee receives three or more votes, that person is elected vice chair. If no nominee receives three votes, the commission may have further discussion and proceed to another vote. This process shall repeat until one nominee has received three or more votes. Thank you, Acting Executive Director. Um, I now open the floor for nomination. First, I um, I wish to self-nominate myself. It, um, I had no intent to do that uh, until uh, a few days ago. Um, as we know, this commission is, face, uh, is facing a couple of um, important challenges. We must uh, find uh, the next executive director to lead the commission. We are also facing a possible budget um, uh, issue that we may have to lose up to one-third of the current staff. Uh, these two challenges uh, would severely impact our current path to carry out our vision and mission um, given to us by the, the people of San Francisco. I feel really 
very uh, um, um, seriously that for the next few months, uh, we need to really continue on the path that we have been on the, f the last uh, um, few months. Um, we definitely should not, uh, could not have any disruption to what we're doing. And for that reason alone, uh, to make sure that the next few months we would uh, be able to um, deal with these two immediate challenges. And for these two reasons alone, I nominate myself to lead this commission for the next year. Uh, any other nominations? I guess I'd ask Commissioner Bush if he would like to remain as vice chair. Yes. So do we do the chair first and then the, do we do the public comment and then vote? How, how, how does it go on? Uh, good morning, commissioners, hey, Deputy City Attorney Brad Russi. Yeah, the, the president, the chair um, question is first addressed and voted on so you should take public comment on the chair and then resolve that question and then move on to the vice chair. Okay, so let's open up. Um, if there are no other nominations uh, to, the, um, to the chair position, let's open up for public comment, please. Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are callers in the queue who wish to come in on item number seven, election of chair. Please stand by. Madam Chair, there are no callers in the queue. Okay. Um, so, get the vote first and then go to Vice Chair? Or? I don't have a nomination, but I'd like to just make a comment. Okay. <clears throat> um, without mentioning any other commissions, I just like the lack of drama that we have in our selection process. I think that's important. Um, but Madam Chair, since I think you will be the remaining chair, one thing I would like to point out, I would like to have an opportunity to have the other commissioners weighing more on the agenda setting. I know it's not a requirement, but I think it'd be nice to, um, to build that into the process a little bit. Okay. The rest of us are involved in, in that as well. If I could ask the city attorney, uh, my understanding is the agenda is set by the, the chair, but every meeting at the end of the agenda or toward the end of the agenda, um, members of the commission uh, can suggest items that they would want to be included in the future um, commission meetings. And I know that for myself, uh, I've been uh, very uh, forthright when I meet with the executive director to make sure that all of those suggestions are included if it is appropriate, if it is timely. So I do take your suggestion very seriously, and that is something that I really believe that this is a commission that should reflect each of the five members' um, um, areas of interest, expertise, and, and um, moving forward. So I do take that seriously, and thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yes, I agree, Commissioner. Um, the other commissioner's opportunity to propose 
items for the agenda, the commission's consideration is on the agenda at every meeting, and um, you can provide input at that time. Thank you. Um, so, do we take a vote now, or do we go for the nomination for the vice chair first? I, you should take a roll call vote on the nominations pending on the floor for president or chair. Okay. Um, if I may chair Lee. Uh, yes, go ahead, Commissioner Bush. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I know that we were taking comments from the public, but I wasn't sure if we had a specific time for commissioners to comment. And I, I would like to comment on the nomination of uh, Chair Lee, because this is a, a critical period for the Ethics Commission. It comes on the heels of uh, a series of reports by the controller and endorsed by the city attorney about uh, corruption issues in uh, our city government. Uh, it's also a time of change since uh, Leanne Pelham has decided to leave as executive director. And we have uh, three of the five commissioners who have uh, arrived fairly recently as these things go. Uh, and so we don't have the longevity. In addition to all those issues, uh, Commissioner Lee offers something that we serious, seriously need, and that's uh, a facility with uh, parts of the San Francisco voters who are not uh, conversant in English or necessarily conversant with the political process. And I, I think uh, somewhere between 35 and 40 percent of all San Francisco voters are uh, Asian Americans. And so I think it's very important that we have representation at the top of the commission, at least at this point uh, that brings uh, more equity to that process. So I'm, I'm delighted that uh, Chair Lee is willing to stay on. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Bush. Uh, roll call, please. Thank you, Madam Chair. Commissioners, as I call your name, Please vote by stating the name of the individual for whom you will be casting your vote to serve as chair for the Ethics Commission for the coming year beginning March 1st. Commissioner Bush. Chair Lee. Commissioner Flores Feng. Chair Lee. Commissioner Finlev. Chair Lee. Chair Lee. Myself. Commissioner Romano. Chair Lee. Madam Chair, by a vote of five to zero, the Commission has elected you, Yvonne Lee, to serve as Chair for a one-year term beginning March 1st, 2023. Congratulations, Chair Lee. Thank you, and, and I want to thank my colleagues uh, for your trust, uh, not only in me, but in this Commission, um, that we, are, uh, we have a very important task, and it takes all five of us, um, and we come with uh, different perspectives and each one of our experience 
perspectives is very important, especially now as we move forward. So thank you for your trust, and um, we need to really uh, proceed to make sure that we have the new leadership in place and the necessary resources to support uh, the work that we want the, the commission to move forward. So thank you very much. Now let's go to the nomination for vice chair. Do I hear any motion to to uh, nominate? I would nominate Vice Chair um, Bush um, to continue on as the Vice Chair. As we all know, Vice Chair uh, Bush um, has a um, institutional relationship with this commission. Uh, he worked on the um, community um, um, level that created this commission and throughout uh, as members of Friends of Ethics, um, as a um, community advocate and uh, until a couple of years ago and now as the vice chair, uh, member and then vice chair of this commission, he adds on institutional knowledge, um, the um, experience and more importantly, uh, even though he and I do not agree on everything, uh, but uh, our differences of uh, perspectives really add to the vibrance of our discussion and thereby uh, really enrich uh, the outcome of what this commission uh, is set to do. So I nominate uh, Vice Chair Bush to a new term as Vice Chair. Thank you. I accept. Uh, do I entertain any other nominations? No. So nomination is closed. Uh, let's go to public comment, please, moderator. Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are callers in the queue who wish to comment on item number seven, election of vice chair. Please stand by. Madam Chair, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, so let us go to the vote for the Vice Chair. Um, Director Thikendale, can you please do the roll call? Thank you, Madam Chair. Commissioners, as I call your name, please vote by stating the name of the individual for whom you will cast your vote to serve as the Vice Chair for the Ethics Commission for the coming year beginning March 1st. Commissioner Bush? I vote for me. <laughs> If I may also uh, have the privilege of making a comment, each of us are appointed by different parts of city government. My appointment comes from the Board of Supervisors, and it's one of two appointments that are made with an eye towards greater public participation and involvement. Uh, and to me, that's sacrosanct. Because of all the things that this commission does, being uh, an overseer or a monitor for behavioral issues is probably the least of it. The most important thing that I see the commission doing is encouraging greater participation uh, in, on the part of the people of San Francisco so that they participate in the decisions 
that affect their lives. They have to believe that the decisions that and their participation makes a, a, a difference. And I think part of our job is to be able to connect with them so that they can see that that takes place. And in the period in which I serve as vice chair, that is gonna be the most important contribution that I think I can make. Thank you. Thank you, vice chair. Uh, roll call, please. Uh, continuing with the roll call, uh, Commissioner Flores Feng. Commissioner Bush. Commissioner Finlev. Commissioner Bush. Chair Lee. Commissioner Bush. Commissioner Romano. Commissioner Bush. Madam Chair, by a vote of five to zero, the commission has elected Commissioner Bush to serve as the vice chair for a one year term beginning March 1st, 2023. Congratulations, Commissioner Bush. Congratulations, Vice Chair Bush. And we look forward to seeing you at the next meeting in person. I look forward to that too. <laughs> um, now let us go to agenda item number eight, which is discussion and possible action on the executive director recruitment process, which may include participation by a representative from the executive search firm. And I'm happy to report that Ms. Pam Derby, and I think that uh, another representative from DHR may be joining us virtual as well. Um, let me just give an update to my fellow commissioners uh, where we are at. Uh, first, I want to thank the acting director and the DHR um, uh, represent our liaison with DHR. They work very diligently with um, CPS HR um, and Ms. Derby during the last few weeks. And because of the, uh, their hard work, uh, we now have a brochure that went live uh, last week. Now we are approaching to the next step, which this commission had uh, um, asked um, to do, which is public engagement. Um, as we know, we want to make sure that this process is inclusive, transparent, and we want to make sure that all of our stakeholders will have the opportunity to weigh in uh, as we uh, select the next executive director. Through comments from um, key stakeholders, members of the commission, and members of the staff, we, the firm was able to put together a general um, um, blueprint of the type of uh, experience, um, character that we are looking for in the next ED. Now we want to make sure that we work with members of the public, our stakeholders, so that they will have a chance to meet with us, to share with us what issues they would really want the next ED to, uh, um, to be aware of, their interest areas. Um, so the idea originally, and again, um, I'm open to any amendments. The idea when we discussed this was through the search committee 
that was formed uh, by the chair um, and the vice chair. The executive, the, ex, the search committee will be able to um, carry out much of these activities, including meetings with the uh, public, the stakeholders. However, um, there are also opportunities for other members of this commission who wish to join in certain stakeholder meetings that we can either make this a formal commission meeting if there are more than three members, uh, or we can continue as a search committee with the chair uh, appointing another person or two other people to replace the chair, to replace the existing two members of the search committee. As you know, the search committee is also required to notice these meetings. And I think it's very, very important that we do so that the pub members of the public will know that they have an opportunity to participate. Uh, so again, um, as long as we have two members of the commission to meet in these notice uh, committees, uh, uh, meetings with the public, um, that is currently um, something that we had all agreed on. Any of the commissioners who are not currently on the committee but do want to, let's just say we have a stakeholder meeting with uh, members of the uh, um, um, campaign managers, uh, they can certainly um, participate as member of the search committee as long as we have two members. And I would make sure that that uh, happens because if there are more than two, we would need to do the normal commission meeting process. And that might take a little bit more time. And as you know, we have a very tight timeline. So with that background, uh, and now that we are heading to the second phase, which is uh, public engagement, I want to turn it over to um, our acting director to see if she has anything to add before we ask uh, Ms. Derby to give us an update. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, the staff is looking into a few logistical aspects um, to help um, schedule these outreach sessions. Um, Essentially, you know, we will need to determine if these sessions will be in person as well as uh, remote, if we will want uh, uh, the public to participate in person and also be able to participate uh, virtually, in which case we will need to conduct them in meeting spaces that uh, provide for the technology needed to uh, conduct hybrid meetings. Um, a few options to consider are that we could um, conduct them in meetings, uh, meeting rooms, um, that we use for our commission meetings at City Hall, as they are, they are already equipped with the technology. Um, the Ethics Commission's office also has a small uh, meeting space, uh, which is also fully equipped and ready to go. Uh, however, the meeting space in the Ethics Commission office has limited seating only up to a total of about uh, 10 or so in-person uh, attendees. So um, we may be able to do um, virtual meetings um, in that space, uh, which will be, you know, which will certainly accommodate uh, a larger uh, um, a number of attendees. Um, 
So the meeting space is uh, something that we're looking at. Uh, a few other uh, considerations, uh, we could possibly conduct in-person meetings in a larger uh, room without the online component, um, and we could conduct separate um, online meetings. So there are ways to logistically plan these meetings. Uh, so that's something the staff, the staff is looking into. Uh, um, we will also need to consider uh, meeting uh, requirements with respect to uh, public noticing. Um, if these outreach sessions um, will be attended by uh, two commissioners, it will you know, essentially need to be noticed uh, uh, at least 72 hours um, ahead of time, like our regular meetings, uh, which I understand um, until end of this month, some of those rules may be uh, relaxed. Um, but we also know that effective March 1st, uh, meeting rules uh, will be back to pre-pandemic uh, time um, rules. So there are additional logistical considerations that will um, need to be considered if we are scheduling the meetings um, after March 1st. Okay. May I just, um, before I ask my fellow commissioners for comments, I just wanted to add that right now we're looking at conducting these uh, listening sessions before the deadline of submission of March 9th. The idea is, uh, even though we, we have put out the qualifications and, and, and everything else, it is really important for the public to weigh in uh, before we go through the evaluation um, of the applications and then the final step of interviewing finalists. Uh, right now, I am looking at a minimum, given everyone's uh, busy schedule. I'm looking at a minimum of two listening sessions. Uh, the first one will be grouped by folks uh, who have um, direct uh, um, responsibility to um, engage with this commission, such as regular reporting, um, filing of reports and everything else, those are the uh, campaign um, consultants, uh, lobbyists, uh, and what have you. So that will be a first meeting. Again, these are proposals, and i uh, love to hear your thoughts. The second meeting will be involving the community-based organizations. Those are the folks that we've heard often. Um, they are also uh, engaged with us, maybe not directly, but uh, whatever rules and, and regulations that we pass would impact them uh, as um, uh, nonprofits and CBOs. So right now I'm looking at a minimum of two to start, uh, and then let's see what the um, interest areas and what the uh, time commitments uh, we have among the commissioners. So right now I want to turn it over to Ms. Derby to give us an update before we have any questions for you. Good morning, Ms. Derby. Good morning, Chair, Commission members. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to see you again. I do have a quick PowerPoint to share. I'll bring that up. So I just wanted to give you an update uh, today of where we are in the current process. Um, the first thing I wanted to show you is that we have updated our timeline um, per some of the 
conversations we've had with you since my last uh, appearance at your meetings. Um, but as you can see, currently we are have started the active phase of the recruitment. Um, as the chair mentioned, the brochure did go live last week. It's live on our website. It's live on the commission's website. Um, and the final filing date is March 9th. And so we have the next 30 days to go out and find candidates. Um, after that March 9th final filing date, we will be doing complete resume reviews and screening interviews with those candidates that meet your minimum qualifications. Um, it's anticipated that we'll be meeting with you on March 24th to do a candidate review meeting with the selection committee. Um, at that point then, we would those are potential dates from the 31st to April 19th for candidate interviews with the selection committee. Um, and then April 20th to May 12th are potential dates for second round interviews with the full ethics commission, giving you a final decision and employment offer the first part of May. The reality is, is that we may be able to cut some time in here in this process, in the selection process. I think it's very uh, probable that you would be able to be making an offer actually sometime in late April. Um, but those are uh, conversations that we'll be having with the selection committee and with the chair as we move forward. My slide doesn't want to move here. Uh, next, uh, we have are placing ads. The ads, um, I think, are appearing now on all of these sites, although sometimes it takes a couple of days. But first, the Hispanic National Bar Association. Uh, second, the California Lawyers Association. We choose to use the, that's really the Bar Association for all California members. Um, they do then email it also to more than 65,000 of their members. So we feel that we get um, a good broad swath of individuals through that ad. Um, the California District Attorneys Association, uh, the American Bar Association, which then of course emails it also to tens of thousands of law professionals around the country. Uh, Capital Morning Report is actually a state publication and we want to make sure that we advertise there to hit individuals at FPPC, in the Attorney General's office, for example. Also, we are obviously sending it to those individuals directly as with many individuals, but um, we also wanna make sure we have advertising there. Uh, then also with the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, and the Ethics Compliance Initiative. Uh, we also then have very active social media campaigns happening. Uh, we're using Zoom Info and LinkedIn Recruiter to identify individuals that are in this space, professionals in this space, to contact either as referral sources or as potential candidates. Um, we're doing using sourcing techniques that include reaching out to neighborhood associations and many of those organizations that the chair just mentioned in doing your listening engagement uh, engagement situations. Um, we'll be doing direct outreach to those individuals, which include cold calling and email. We'll be scheduling informal screening sessions with those individuals oftentimes while we're encouraging them to apply. Um, one of the things that has already happened is that our initial email blast has gone out to more than 6,000 individuals from our database around the country to inform them of this position. Um, but then over the next 30 days, it's going to be these very targeted outreach activities that we'll be conducting. 
Um, we will be assisting uh, the acting director in any way possible to help set up those stakeholder engagement discussions. And we'll also be contacting a list of potential candidates that was identified to us by Leanne. Um, so we have a very robust uh, four weeks in front of us that we'll be contacting those referral sources and potential candidates. Uh, as I mentioned, the selection process after that March 9th is for us to do our screening interviews, to then do a candidate review meeting with the selection committee, and then we would be doing interviews, client interviews would be the full commission. So those are the three selection process steps. Uh, the final selection, we will assist in the candidate offer and help with negotiations. Uh, we'll be doing reference and background check assessments of those finalist candidates, and then your can we would be helping uh, solidify a start date for the selected candidate. Um, so that's a very quick overview of where we are. I know you have a bit of an agenda today, and so I don't want to take too much time, but I'd be happy to share uh, to uh, have any questions at this point. Thank you. Any questions, comments from my fellow commissioners? I have a, a few questions. Go ahead, please. Unmute, please. Am I unmuted now? Yeah. You're good. Okay. Uh, in terms of the uh, proposed candidates, will they be identified as to which commissioner or uh, former official has proposed those candidates? No, we would not share that information, although that obviously is to the pleasure of the commission. And so if that is is something that you desire, if the commission shows, so chooses, we would share that information with only the commission, obviously. I'm sorry, what was like the question? I would like to see that shared, if only uh, because you guys hear the question. No. What's the Commissioner Bush? Could you repeat your question? Whether the potential candidates who are being proposed by others will be identified in terms of who has made the proposal that they be considered. Because in the past, my experience was that uh, we really wanted to give additional weight uh, uh, in some cases. So, for example, Leanne was not uh, a candidate on the first list of uh, potential applicants, but she came in uh, as a result of the former chair of the FPPC who knew her very well, and he convinced her that she should apply, and so she did. And, of course, uh, she blew away the commission, and Paul Rennie, who was the chair at that time, uh, certainly gave it due weight uh, when it came in. Um, and she trumped some of the candidates that many of us thought were the leading candidates, uh, and rightfully so. So I think that it would be helpful to know uh, because it tells you something about the background of the candidates that they were able to enlist that kind of support. And in general, it's not unusual 
for a candidate to list the names of people who uh, endorse their candidacy. If so that's, that's one factor. Uh, another factor is whether you are doing an outreach to groups like COGOL. COGOL is an association of ethics organizations throughout California, uh, and they do annual meetings and have uh, forums where things are discussed. And uh, COGOL is very respected, and if someone is uh, a active participant in COGOL, that will tell us something about their familiarity with uh, the way ethics is being handled across the state and not just within the context of San Francisco. So those are the kinds of things that I would find helpful uh, as we evaluate candidates. If, if I may just um, add, we want to make sure that this process is completely fair and transparent. Um, I think that it's okay for individual members to, rec to ask someone to apply for this job, but as we go forward with this process, it would not be, uh, um, f for me, it would not add public confidence if uh, some candidates come in and say, I'm recommended by somebody. And of course, through the resumes, through reference checks, um, those information will come through as they go forward. But I personally, uh, I like to hear from my colleagues, but I personally would prefer that you do not, uh, Ms. Derby, you do not include those information as we, re as we review the first round of applicants. Uh, any comments from my colleagues? No, I agree. No, I, that seems reasonable to me. That makes sense to me. I guess I have a question uh, to Ms. Derby. First of all, thank you very much for your brief and helpful presentation. The idea that, am I right that the idea is that you're going to bring a couple of candidates to the full committee, commission? Uh, yes, correct. To so the full commission, I, I would anticipate two to three finalists. That, that seems right to me. So far, I think that this process has been, I trust that you and the subcommittee have done an extraordinarily thorough job. I think that that's been evident to us. I don't think that the rest of us can or should necessarily be part of every detail here about the brochures and meeting rooms and who exactly. I really do trust the chair and vice chair to take care of all these details. That's the point of the subcommittee. So I would suggest that we really reserve the full commission time for when we have the finalists. Otherwise, I trust the rest of you guys to, to find those excellent finalists for us. Well, Commissioner. Oh, please go ahead. Uh, well, I don't know if it's that direct either, so I'm going. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I'd just like to comment on the presentation again. I also found it very helpful. It was nice to see that on um, the list of outreach for ad campaigns, um, there were um, there's obviously an intention to target um, or at least include um, diverse candidates. Um, and so I was also wondering if there, how I would go about maybe helping add to that list. I know that you've given the commissioners several opportunities to offer different bar associations or organizations that maybe we can um, reach out to. But is that something, uh, Ms. Derby, that I should speak to you about or the chair and the vice chair? 
at this stage? If I could answer that uh, first, uh, I, I think uh, a couple of us have submitted a list uh, that included uh, the ABA, the NBA, a, okay, alphabet soup, uh, American Bar Association, the National Bar Association, Asian American Bar Association, the Congressional Staffers Association, California Legislative Staffers Association, just to name a few that I remember. Uh, so that uh, was submitted, and, and I hope that uh, CPS would uh, reach out to those groups, even though uh, some of us, uh, I personally have sent out the brochure to these organizations. But if you have any other organizations that you want them to include, uh, just for expedience sake, uh, maybe you can just send it to me, uh, and then we can make sure that there's a whole list that they could uh, do the second blast. That thank you very much, Shirley. Thank you. A couple of quick comments. Ms. Derby, thank you as well. I'm sorry, Commissioner Bush, looked like you had something to say. I just wanted to suggest that when people are writing up uh, their interest in serving as the executive director, that they include whether they have ever attended an ethics commission, and as well as whether they've ever been involved in a campaign or lobbying effort so that they have some hands-on experience uh, with those ex uh, activities that they would be overseeing as executive director. It's not, it's not a, a factor that would preclude someone from being considered, but it was a factor that might play a role in their consideration. Uh, Ms. Derby, thank you for your presentation. A couple of quick points. I agree with Mr. Romano, Commissioner Romano that I think all the details we can save for the subcommittee, but I would like to have just access to resumes as they come in. Not to discuss them as a commission, not to create a meeting, but I wonder whether you can set up an electronic repository where, if we so wish, we can just look at the resumes. Again, not in a meeting, not for discussion, just to access them. Um, in terms of the issue that Commissioner Bush raised about names of references, since we're picking a candidate on their merit, it seems weird to me that we would bake in who referred them at the initial step. So I agree with. Chair Lee, that that would make me a little uncomfortable. That said, of course, people should list their references and where they've worked, and I would imagine that the search firm would follow up with those folks. So I think that's the appropriate way to address that issue. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, there's no other questions, comments from the commission. Let's open up for public comment, please. Moderator. Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are callers in the queue who wish to comment on item number eight, discussion and possible action on executive director recruitment process. Please stand by. Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Welcome caller, your three minutes begins now. Great, David Pilpel again. Um, so it was a short presentation from the executive uh, search firm, uh, Ms. Derby. Uh, if you could post that um, PowerPoint presentation uh, on the website um, in relation to that, to this item, that would be uh, great. I'd appreciate that. Um, if you do hold um, some public uh, outreach uh, sessions to discuss uh, candidate 
not specific candidates, but desired qualifications, et cetera, uh, I would encourage you to hold those uh, one or more sessions as remote or uh, at least hybrid, um, so um, uh, relative to a, um, the, the next item that public participation is encouraged, but the people shouldn't have to schlep down to a, um, a, a site to do that, that they should be able to participate just as I am right now, today. Um, also, if you could post the link to the brochure uh, itself, there was reference made to the brochure. Um, I don't want to have to go find it if there's a way to include the link to that uh, also if you're updating uh, the agenda uh, page for today. And I was going to um, refer to uh, Kogel, but um, uh, Commissioner uh, Bush already uh, referenced uh, Kogel, um, which of course I, I thought used to be a uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, cooking group, but apparently is the Conference on Government <laughs> Ethics Laws. Uh, anyway, um, those are my thoughts on the recruitment process at this time. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And Mr. Hugo, can you please make sure that your contact, you send the staff your contact information because we definitely want you to know about the next um, public engagement sessions. And if I could ask our executive director if you can put uh, a separate um, site in our website uh, on the executive search um, page so that the public can follow um, with us with the updates and then questions that um, they may have. That would be great. I don't know technology. I don't know if that's possible, but it would be great if we can do that as a separate page. Sure, we look uh, into that. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, any other? Public comments? Madam Chair, there are no further callers in the queue. Okay. Um, just one more thing <clears throat> that I want to brief my fellow commissioners. Uh, we have a standing weekly meeting um, with uh, our DHR um, liaison as well as our CPS uh, HR representative just to make sure that we can troubleshoot whatever issues that may come up and that we're staying on schedule. Uh, so uh, thank you for your continued um, uh, engagement. And again, um, each one of us are free to reach out to talk to our stakeholders and friends as we go forward until uh, March 9th. And I will be working with CPS and DHR to make sure that uh, the first round uh, of applications will be reviewed um, so that uh, there may be a jam in, in that group. Uh, they may not meet the so-called minimum qualifications, but if there's someone who could really stand out from that group, uh, we'll make sure that um, on, on behalf of the commission, we will be able to review every application that comes through. I'll reiterate my preference to just yeah, have access to the resumes. Yeah, so we will work with the city attorneys to make sure that um, that process would be available at the same time protecting the privacy of these individuals because if we're dealing with making it available uh, to all of us, uh, there may be some confidentiality issues that we may need to abide by. 
Commissioner, you, this is with respect to Commissioner Finlove's uh, request to have the applications available for all the commissioners to see. I don't see an issue with that in, in assuming that the um, wherever they're stored is a secure um, location. We'll work on that one then. Thank you. Okay, with no more public comment on agenda, on the agenda item number eight is now closed. Um, no action is required. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Excellent work. And we will see you at the next meeting with update. Thank you. Wait, Thank are you. we having an update every meeting now? Well, I move that we do meeting. not have any more updates until we have two final, two or three finalists. Okay. Um, the purpose of these updates is also to keep the public engaged. Then I would suggest that we publish something on our web. We don't need to take the time to go through this. I trust you guys. This, okay. That's the purpose of this subcommittee. Okay. That's my if that's the preference. Preference of the commission. Yeah, I think if there are specific issues you need the whole commission to weigh in on, that's different. But I don't see what that would be unless there's, unless we're at that stage. Okay, so we won't see you in March. But we do appreciate all your work, honestly. <laughs> most, I would say that most organizations of your stature and size do try to have a web page dedicated to the search, and it does. Then the public can see it on a daily basis if there are updates, etc. And so um, I highly encourage that if it's possible. Mm -hmm. That seems reasonable. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, now let's go to agenda item number nine, which is discussion and possible action regarding the impact of the upcoming termination of the governor's COVID-19 emergency proclamation and the mayor's emergency order on current ethics commission hybrid meeting operations and whether to continue to resource and provide online and telephone conferencing services to facilitate remote public comment. Um, if I think this is pretty self-explanatory, if we can just take yep. uh, vote. I don't think we need to have. Uh, I agree. I was going to go out on a limb and say I suspect everyone here would like to continue offering remote comment. I would move that we do that, and then I think that's, unless there's something else we need to do, I think that should resolve it. Uh, Charlie, just as a brief informational update, since the uh, memo was published recommending the continuation of public comment, we have learned that the city administrator's office will be uh, releasing guidance uh, at some point in the near future um, for commissions and boards citywide, but I believe that does not change the recommendation to continue for the time being, and that could be evaluated based on city administrator recommendations when they become available. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, let's go to public comment, please. Thank you, Madam Chair. We are checking to see if there are any callers of the queue who wish to comment on item number nine. Please stand by. Madam Chair, we currently have two callers in the queue. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Uh, great, David Pilpel again. Um, just one thing I forgot on the last item, there was a lot of discussion about uh, external candidates. I don't want to lose the uh, possibility that there are internal uh, candidates at the city, um, not just at the commission, but elsewhere um, within um, 
the city service. Um, so anyway, I'm sure there will be appropriate outreach there. Um, on item nine, uh, absolutely, please continue allowing remote public comment at uh, commission uh, meetings. It increases uh, uh, outreach opportunities for engagement and um, hopefully meaningful public participation, which has long been uh, my goal and that of um, others, so long as all documents are available um, on the web and anyone can participate from anywhere uh, and make hopefully, sorry, uh, so long as people can uh, make uh, pointed and useful public comments as I try to do, I think that um, helps the process very much. So. Uh, I, I very much support the motion and appreciate uh, your efforts to continue uh, remote public comment at commission meetings. Thanks very much. Thank you. Please stand by. Welcome caller. Your three minutes begins now. Good morning. This is Debbie Lerman at the San Francisco Human Services Network. I, I just want to support and appreciate the staff recommendation to continue with remote public comment at your meetings. Um, this has been a true advance in accessible democracy for a lot of people who've never been able to participate before. Requiring in-person participation excludes a lot of people, including people who work during the day, people who are low income, have small children, seniors, people with disabilities, caregivers, people who don't have transportation, and people at higher risk from COVID, with the greatest impact falling on communities of color. And even those of us who do have what I consider a privilege to be able to come down there in person, um, often have to spend hours of our day sitting there waiting for our two or three minutes of public comment. This really is a leadership um, position that will send a signal to other commissions that you value public participation and urge you, we urge you to continue uh, engaging the community in this way and allowing for diverse input into policy discussions. Thank you so much. Thank you. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. Public comment agenda nine is closed. Um, colleagues, do I entertain a motion to uh, uh, continue the commission's hybrid meeting operations and to continue um, public engagement through the continuation of resources and online telephone conferencing services to facilitate remote public comment? So moved. Seconded. Okay. It's been motioned and seconded. Sorry, seconded. Uh, roll call, please. On the, on the motion to uh, continue hybrid and public engagement, uh, Commissioner Bush? Aye. Commissioner For Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Finlay? Aye. Shirley? Aye. Commissioner Romano? Aye. Madam Chair, with five votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Thank you. And now let's go to agenda item number 10, which is discussion of the Board of Supervisors resolution file number 221211, urging the Ethics Commission to timely complete backlog 
of outstanding audits and updates from the audit program. I think we have um, a, do we have Ms. Linda Fong here to give us an update? Ms. Fong, welcome. Chair Lee, if I may. Oh, sure, my apologies. Just a very brief update. I uh, just wanted to provide the context that um, um, this was an item that we added to the agenda as um, the commission had requested uh, an update uh, regarding the audits in the last meeting. Um, also, as you know, the board uh, had issued a adopted a resolution uh, in uh, December urging the commission to timely complete the backlog of its audits. So we have uh, Linda Fong here, Audit and Compliance Review Manager, to provide us a brief overview um, of the update. Thank you. And please go ahead, Ms. Fong. Thank you, Chair Lee. Um, good morning. Can you talk directly into the mic? Can you hear me? Better. Thank okay, you. good. Thank you. Um, good morning, Shirley, Commissioner Romano, Finlev, Forrest Wang, and Commissioner Bush. Um, as Gaia 3 uh, summarized, we received a, 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 board, a resolution from the Board of Supervisors last month urging the audit division to timely work through the backlog, um, and specifically um, to create core components of uh, a long-term sustainable audit function um, and to seek assistance, if possible, to help with the timely completion of the audits, either through an external audit firm or through uh, the controller's audit di division. Um, so before I provide an update as to the program of um, you know, the, the current status of things within the audit division, I just want to provide a little bit of background for what the division does in general. Um, this may be familiar information to some, but in case there are people who don't know what the audit division does, just want to provide a, a quick overview. Um, so under the, the city charter, um, the commission has the duty and responsibility to audit campaign statements filed with the commission to ensure compliance with applicable state and city campaign finance laws and regulations. Um, under the city's campaign and governmental conduct code, candidate committees that receive public financing, they are subject to mandatory audit. And committees that don't receive public financing, they may still be selected for audit at the discretion of the executive director. Also, the commission needs to conduct at least one lobbyist audit, one or more, um, annually. Um, and besides conducting mandatory and discretionary audits, campaign finance audits, and the mandatory lobbying audits, we also have the responsibility of developing and implementing um, a post-filing compliance review program for electronically filed statements of economic interest, or what we refer to as the Form 700. And this was recommended by the controller's um, public integrity review back in July um, of 2020, or June, I'm, I'm sorry, June of 2020. Um, and in addition to audits and reviews, 
during election years, the commission is, well, specifically the audit division, is um, responsible for administering the, the city's public financing program, where we um, review candidate eligibility and review or coordinate the public uh, disbursement of funds for candidates who run for supervisor or mayors, the mayor seats. Um, and to do all that work, um, we currently have a staff of four, one audit and compliance review manager and three auditors um, currently. Um, not too long ago, as recent as April in 2021, the audit division was operating at 25% capacity. And that was due to staff vacancies and disaster service worker assignments due to the, the city's COVID-19 response. Um, the division got to operate at 100% capacity by November of 2021 with the filling of another staff vacancy and the return of staff from DSW service. And at that time, um, once we were at 100% capacity, the staff focused on the evaluation of the existing compliance, um, the campaign finance audit program and the development of a lobbying program as recommended by the, the BLA audit in, in 2020. Um, and we did that before initiating any new audits because we felt that we needed to adequately address the BLA findings, the, the recommendations, and implement them, and also build the foundation of a, a long-term and sustainable audit function. Um, it just made sense to do that before initiating any new audits, even though we acknowledge there was a, a backlog due to, um, you know, the COVID-19 response, the shelter in place, but it just made sense to evaluate the program, make sure that the program was going to be sustainable going forward and it was going to be effective and efficient. Um, and as a result of that evaluation, now we have standardized audit processes and procedures that we could um, apply not only to campaign finance audits, but to lobbying audits as well as the, the new compliance review program that we intend to develop for the Form 700. Once we reached 100% capacity, um, during the 15 months that we have been at 100% capacity, we were um, able to develop the lobbying audit program. We initiated and completed six lobbying audits and uh, the lobbyists selected for audit, they are identified in the memo and the audit reports for the completed audits are available online right now. Um, on the campaign finance side, um, recognizing that there was still a backlog and the more time went on, the backlog was going to increase, we reached out to the controller's office um, in July of 2021 to seek assistance to secure external audit services to, to help us to seek those services. And we were referred to the Office of Contract Administration and we've been working with them ever since and continue to work with them to secure uh, external help. We're working on a contract to secure uh, 
external auditing services to help us with the backlog going forward. Um, and while we continue to work on the contract to help us with the backlog, we start we started um, initiating and planning for the, the current backlog. We initiated um, the 2019 audits um, that are identified in the memo. We had two 2019 audits that were mandatory audits, um, and then we had 16 2020 mandatory audits, and with the recent 2022 election, we have another five that are adding to the backlog. Um, so while we are working on the contract and trying to secure external services, we have initiated some of those audits ourselves in-house, and um, the, those are identified in the memo. Um, and finally, uh, in addition to trying to work through the backlog, continuing to work with OCA on the contract to secure external services, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are commencing development of the Form 700 Compliance Review Program, which given the, the BLA office uh, conflict of interest audit that's going out now um, citywide, that is a, a priority to make sure that uh, anything that we could implement in a Form 700 review, that it's consistent with the, the focus on conflict of interest um, matters. So um, I just wanted to provide that overview. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions at this point. Thank you. Questions, comments, colleagues? Thank you, Ms. Fong. So is the plan right now to cover the backlog with ex existing resources and the external support? Right now, because we don't have a contract yet, we are trying to initiate audits in-house. So we started two of the two of two 2019 audits, and we started two of the 16 2020 audits, and we are on track to starting a third 2020 mandatory audit. Um, and so we, not knowing when we are going to secure a contract with an external firm, we initially planned to take on in-house six of the 2020 mandatory audits in addition to the two 2019 mandatory audits. And uh, resources and time permitting, we, we want to get through those. But if the contract is established soon, then the remaining 2020, we want to negotiate and have them help with that. Did you say you've been trying for two years to get the external contract? Yes. That well, yeah, we that the process started um, back in June, July, twenty twenty one, and yeah, it's been a, a long ongoing process. But in recent months, I think we've made, with the help of the the OCA, um, we've made a lot of progress or steps forward. And if that doesn't happen, does the commission have the resources internally to ever get out of the backlog? I think we do now. Um, since we got back to 100% capacity and with the evaluation of the current process, building that foundation, that, that is why it was so important to build that foundation. So once we did that, knowing that we still have a backlog, now it's just getting to work on the backlog and executing it. And uh, with the new process, I think compared to how 
audits were done before, um, I think they can be completed more timely given the new process. Thank you. Yeah, Shirley, you, if I can add a comment, Shirley. Yes, please. Uh, regarding uh, Commissioner Finlay's question about um, the process um, that uh, we've been engaged in in receiving, you know, the con contracting support, the the reason it's taken this long is because when we attempted to um, secure a contract um, previously. We, were, we reached out to the controller's office and they were willing to allow us to use um, a pre-qualified list from their contract at that time. But however, that list was expiring much sooner than we would have been able to actually establish a contract with one of those vendors in that list. So even, they were, even though they were you know, willing to support it, administratively it wasn't feasible. And we also internally did not have the bandwidth to actually conduct the necessary steps to uh, do the contracting work, uh, which is why when the controller's office at that time guided us and told us to actually work with the department of either the um, Office of Contract Administration, we engaged with them and then established a worked order with them, uh, which they had to estimate um, and uh, included that as a part of our budgeting process as well. And we got the funds allocated from the election campaign fund. Uh, so all of those steps in making funds um, available, making the resourcing available on the Office of Contract Administration, all of those steps took time. Now we are very actively engaged with the Office of Contract Administration. So the, the phase that we are in right now is different from what we have been engaged in over the last uh, year and a half or so. So which is why we are more optimistic that you know, we, we're right now actually working on the process of um, initiating you know, the necessary steps for contracting. Uh, and the controller's office has also uh, refreshed their uh, pre-qualified lists of um, approved vendors. So we should be able to readily use that list again this time. So it was a, it, those were the reasons why um, there was a delay. Great. No, thank you for that explanation. And it sounds like help is on the way. And to uh, Ms. Fong, it's, your unit does just such critical work, so it's nice to hear from you. Th thank you for your presentation. Oh, you're welcome. I have some questions. Yeah, I have a couple of questions about the unit generally, not so much necessarily about the backlog. I was hoping that you could. Mm -hmm. So if you're not prepared, I completely understand. My understanding is that there's um, basically two types of, of audits that you conduct. There are campaign finance, um, and then there's the lobbyist audits. Is that correct? Yes. Is that right? Yes. And um, about how many audits are you able to, or did we do this past year, in the past 12 months? Since we got to 100% capacity, we focused on the lobbying audits and we completed six since developing the program for that. And how long, over six, over how many period of, what period of time, excuse I'm me? I'm sorry? I'm over what period of time? You said since you became full 100%, so. Um, it started, uh, the program development started last February. So from last February until now, so within a year. So it's we a year, we, six. Yeah, but within a year we developed the program and completed six lobbyist audits, yes. And over the past, let's say, five years, can you estimate how many audits com combined you've been able to? Five years? Yeah. Just oh, guess. that predates my tenure with the commission. I don't know, right, but so I can go back and When did you start that. with the commission? Uh, April of 2021. All right, so since you started, how many audits have we completed, more or less? Those six, the lobbying audits, yes. So no other? No other audits. No other campaign? No, just like I shared initially, we... When I joined, that was when we just got the, the BLA recommendations in August of 2020. 
And so when I joined, um, audits stopped at that point. Got it. And then it was needed to evaluate the process, yes. So six lobbying audits out of how many lobbyists? Um, let me... More or less guess. Let's fine. see. A guess is fine. Uh, I have this somewhere. Bear with me. So when we did the audit of 2021 activity, and so um, on file during that review period, there were 253 lobbyists, of which 247 were contact lobbyists, and six were expenditure lobbyists. Got it. And um, are the six randomly selected? How, is that right? Yes, they yeah. were randomly selected. And do we have a percentage of how many randomly are supposed to be selected? I thought you said it's at least one, but is that the deal? Yeah, the the law requires that the, how, com the commission do at least one. That's all. How what, what are we targeting though? Do we have a target percentage? The percentage? How much? Yeah, how I'm many? Sorry, how many of the random? So it's 250 lobbyists. Right. The law requires that we audit one, which is absurd. Mm -hmm. What are we? What's the goal for the commission to? I and I appreciate that we can't audit everybody. Right. So do you have a goal as to roughly how many you'd like to be part of the random audit? Well, I think because we just did this initial round of lobbying audits where even though the law required only one, we wanted the, the audit to remain re representative. So going forward, yeah. um, depending on the audit population, again, based on the activity that we see, the, the, the number of lobbyists on file for next year, for example, for 2022, it depends on what we see, the population-wise. And so then, let's say assume it's roughly the same, 250 lobbyists. What's the goal? Again, to ensure that the, the activity that is captured, because there's no guarantee that the same activity that was in 2021 is going to happen in 2022. We, it just depends on the activity that we see. And, He's looking for a the, number. I'm looking for a number. Do you want to audit? Five, 10, 20, 10 percent. I mean, what the idea here, the idea of an audit, right, is so that people make sure that the government is making sure that they're complying with all the rules, right? If we audit one person, which is the law, like that's just pretty much non-existent audit as far as I'm concerned. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So or do we have a general goal? Like I would like to see that you, as the director of this, I would like to eventually see that 10 percent, 20 percent of activity is audited. Not what we're doing right now. I understand that we're ramping up, but what is the goal for, what should be the goal for this commission? Um, I think without knowing what activity we're gonna see, um, the goal of the audit is to ensure that the results are representative of the sample, of the population, I mean. And the population and is 250 now. Uh, right. Th and those five are representative of 250? No, okay. and just like the law says only one, that seems ridiculous. No, I, right, um, We're, yeah. I don't want one. We, we all don't want just one. So what is representative of the sample of 250? Um, well, uh, it depends on, and, and when you can't give a straight answer for every type of audit, you're gonna audit the same sample size because it really depends on the, the population for that given audit period and the, 
the activity level for that audit period. So it could change every audit cycle. But given that we were able to audit six and have a representative sample, all things being equal, if we see the same thing next year, I would say at least six next year, resources permitting. And Right, of course resources permitting. I just wanted to know what the city's uh, target should be in an ideal circumstance. Um, how many um, campaign committees are subjected to audit? I realize that there hasn't been any done, but how many are? Well, any committee, any campaign committee that receives public financing, they must be audited. Correct. And how many right. is that? Depends on how many people how are many, running for candidates. Well, how right? many were in the last year? 2020 or 2022? Whichever. I don't care. I'm just trying <laughs> to get a sense of what's the... Yeah, so like I said, in 2019, there were two candidates who received public right. financing. Right, I saw that. In 2020, there were 16. Okay. And then in the most recent election, there were five. All right. Yes. And then the others are subject to random auditing, is that correct? Even if you did not receive public financing? You, it's at the discretion of the executive director. And what so, is it? Um, since 2019, there haven't been any discretionary audits. How many candidates Committees. Candidate committees are there in, a t in the last election cycle, not that, that didn't receive public financing. I don't have that information on hand. I What's can get your that to you. What's your guess? Is it in the 20? Is it 50? Is it? How many did not receive? No. Yeah. Well, you said two in the most recent cycle. So how many did not receive? I'm just trying to see how many committees there were. Well, it, they have to apply for it. So. I understand. How many did was in the last cycle? How many? They applied for government funding, correct? Right. When you said, right? So there was two that applied for government In funding. In 2019. Correct. How many didn't, how many candidate committees were there total? So I think I, the question, am I not asking? If I can just uh, clarify. Number one, they're, they're auditing not just lobbyists. You're, you're lobbying campaign committees. And the campaign committees are based on the political, in my humble opinion is, is based on the political environment. So for instance, if you have a Trump running, you may have a lot of committees created. We understand this, but we know what happened in the past. I know what, I'm not looking into the future. I'm saying what happened in the past, how many candidate committees were in the past, were in the 2019 election? I can get that information for you. Can you just guess, is it a dozen, is it 50, is it 100? I, I, I can't give you a number, I don't know. Okay. But I can and get also, there were, there were election years when we have two special elections last year. So that created a lot more committees. My point is to try to get a universe of the number of committees that are subject to audit. I, I understand that there are mandatory audits if you receive government finance and then there's discretionary audits. I'd like to see, I'd like to know what is the universe of potential campaigns that are subject to audit and what percentage we actually do audit. You, that, that was right, my, that yeah, was we question. can definitely provide that information. And, and there are other committees that are non-candidate committees. We have general purpose and ballot measure committees. So okay. I think that is maybe what you're sure, getting that, at. Sure, that yeah. too. I'd be curious to know what is in the universe and what percentage are we actually auditing. Right, right. Yeah, we could definitely get that information if you're interested in that. Right. Yeah, no, I think you made a really important point and Ms. Fong pointed out an important fact, which is not just candidate committees. I think it's dozens of committees because you've got... That's fine. Is it 100? I have... I'm, so I'm telling you, my guess is it's Closer to 100 than 10. It's, That's fine. It's a lot. That's fine. And it, it would be helpful to be broken out as, you know, what is a candidate committee versus ballot measure committees versus, 
but so far we've audited six, and those aren't even campaigns. Right. Those are just lobbyists out of 250. Right, right. Prior to 2018, I believe they audited non-candidate committees, and they, that would include the committees that you're interested in right now. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I do have, sorry, I'm sorry. Of the six, did you find any irregularities or concerns? Most of the findings, well, yeah, we did find findings, uh, but most of them related to late disclosure, um, omission of disclosure, um, but, you know, nothing, n nothing earth-shattering. So you'd say technical bookkeeping? Bookkeeping. Bio bookkeeping, and in one Cler case... Clerical errors? Would you, is that yeah, unintentional clerical errors, um, and in, in one lobbyist result, um, that result, that lobbyist was uh, determined not to have complied with uh, the lobbying disclosure requirements, but for the most part... So, sorry, yeah. for that one, intentional or just clerical error? I think it was unintentional and that lobbyist wasn't with the firm that long, um, but the, the compliance reporting firm is insisting on abiding by the law, reporting, and that was, that was sure. it. I just wanted to make sure if there's any alarm bells that we should, it sounds like there are none. No, no. And I do have a quick question. For the external um, audits at the firms, is there a like, are we monitoring? Like, is there first like some sort of training where you're like, here, this is our process. Please follow our process. Um, and if so, how do we like? Should we account time for their training process for the audit, or is it pretty just self-explanatory? I thank you for the question. That is part of what we are negotiating during the contract process in evaluating the firms that we are selecting. Um, we are in the process of deciding internally whether we want the external firm to follow the newly developed internal process or to allow the external firm to follow their own process to conduct the audits. Um, and, and that's something we are currently evaluating right now. Yeah, I would, I mean, would, would we be worried about inconsistencies? That is what we are thinking about, you know, because we have developed a standardized process and approach to conducting our audits, uh, and we worked hard at that, what would it look like if we got external help and they did something completely different? So that's something that we are really thinking hard about when we are selecting the firm. And is that something we'll be told, or is that something that I should just follow up about separately, about the choices that we made? I understand that it's in your, I guess, discretion. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm having a hard time Yes, sorry you. about that. Um, my question is whether we will be informed of your choice. Yeah, we could, definitely. Okay. I think when the contract negotiation process is complete and the firm is selected, that information will be provided to the commission um, as part of our, our planned uh, biannual updates about the program. Thank you. So I, I hope to have something to report the next time we provide a program update. Hopefully the contract process it will be a lot faster than it has been. <laughs> it sounds promising, so thank you. Yeah. Commissioner uh, Floresbank, if I can add uh, one additional detail to that response. Yes, thank you. Uh, in the past, when we have used external auditors, we have provided them the procedures for completing the audits. So that came from us. So they had to follow our procedures. 
So yeah, we will go that route. Great, that makes sense. I, I just, you know, it's, I wonder whether they will follow, you know, they could say thanks for your document. I appreciate it and then follow their own process. And so I'm wondering about a check on that. Yes, typically in the, in the contract, we will have uh, many checkpoints for their deliverables uh, where our staff will also be checking in with them. So that's been the process that we've followed in the, in the past and you know, we will be working with um, Office of Contract Administration as well to get their guidance on the right way to set up the agreements. Great, thank you. Commissioner Bush, you have questions? Uh, I just, uh, I may not have uh, a correct memory, but I believe that the law that directed that there be at least one audit of a lobbyist was passed in 2015, and that for several years, uh, the Ethics Commission just parked that to the side and didn't take any action on it, uh, which is, explains why there's such a long lag and why the board became impatient with us. Uh, but in addition to that, the, the FTPC began to undertake uh, audits on behalf of local governments. And they started, I believe, with, uh, with someplace in Southern California. And then two years ago, the legislature amended the law to allow the FTPC to accept requests from any local government to do audits of local uh, campaigns based on what the rules were in that community. So there is another option besides the controller, uh, and that is worth exploring uh, whether the FTPC might do it. In addition to that, there is the option of going back to talk to the folks at the Elections Commission. Because the Elections Commission has got a body of people who are sort of their volunteers uh, who act in their, uh, in their, in lieu of them on behalf of overseeing the conformance with the rules for filing at the Elections Commission. As many of you know, the Elections Commission has jurisdiction over issues that the Ethics Commission leaves alone, like, for example, slate mailers. Um, the difference is that a lot of money goes to slate mailers, and it's not tracked except at elections, and election doesn't track it electronically, but just puts them in a foil file folder and then puts them in uh, a form. So what we're seeing when we do an audit is only a part of what is available and only a part of the resources that we might have available to us if we were to be more aggressive in it. My thought is that we would be better off having uh, audits that were based on how recent the campaigns were operating 
so that if if you you don't want to sit there and try and audit a campaign from 2012 because who knows if, if they even can lay their hands on their canceled checks and tell you exactly what it is that they've gotten done and it's not fair to them or, or to you and we're not uh, imposing any additional fees to pay for the audits that have to be done um, and it would be logical that we would do that so I see all of that as a way out of this without burdening the staff further than we have already I just want to bring that to into the discussion that we're having right now thank you um, there are no other comments from the commissioners let's go to public comments please thank you for being here I think you can sit down but thank you so much okay Thanks. thank you Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are callers in the queue who wish to comment on item number 10. Please stand by. Madam Chair, we have two callers in the queue. First caller, please stand by. Welcome caller. Your three minutes begins now. Uh, great, David Pilfell again. So. Um, unfortunately, I have a very long memory on this and all other uh, issues related to the commission. This is not a new issue at all. Um, I would uh, consider requesting a short audit update within the monthly executive director's uh, report um, in addition to the, I believe, semi-annual uh, report that staff was uh, proposing um, in the written um, report today. I would definitely prioritize campaign audits over lobbyists, campaign consultants, which I don't think were referenced today, um, and Form 700 re reviews and any other type of audit uh, work. Um, I don't quite understand, and I'm not sure that I heard discussion um, about not con contracting with the controller's um, office, city services audit audits, or some other group within controller land, rather than an external uh, firm to avoid um, outside audit at work, there's no reason why an outside firm would use their own uh, procedures. They should absolutely be using uh, procedures developed uh, uh, an audit workbook, whatever, developed by the, the staff. Um, and I'm not sure that audit work and audit work papers should be held by an outside uh, firm. I think that really should be city work, whether it's done by the commission staff or controller or Anyway, I, I'm not yet with the idea of an external firm uh, helping with this. Um, I think targeted audits are useful. Random audits should be proportional to the pool of entities of each type um, that are being uh, reviewed. And overall, the resources needed for the audit function should address the very important public need for timely um, audits. Audits, as Commissioner Bush just indicated, audits from 2012 aren't so useful. The people may not be around, the records may no longer be available, et cetera. Uh, it's important that audits happen uh, on a timely basis and the resources uh, should be there. Um, there's a lot more I could say on that, but I think this is enough for the moment. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Please stand by.
Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. So, commissioners, <clears throat> I've been listening to y'all, and this is how I look at it. San Franciscans believe in accountability and transparency. We have the Sunshine Task Force, which is not working. We have the Ethics Commission, and you know how y'all are performing. We have the Controller's Office, and with all the articles in the SF standard, we know that they have failed. How can nonprofits get money in the millions when their certification is not in order? Now the Ethics Commission, for the longest time ever, y'all don't have the resources. If y'all don't have the resources, how are you going to perform? So don't be talking about stuff in generalities. If we have standard operating procedures in place, but you don't have timelines and goals, you are useless. The Ethics Commission has failed us miserably. The Controller's Office has failed us miserably. The Sunshine Task Force doesn't know what to do. The Sunshine Task Force was supposed to represent the people to do some due diligence and send it to the Ethics Commission. That's not happening. The world is looking at us. How many people, corrupt people, are being indicted? Not by the Ethics Commission, not by the work of the controller, not the city attorney, but the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Some of you all know a little bit about it. So represent the people. Please. This is a corrupt city, and now more and more it's reached saturation point. You commissioners have to really work very hard to establish standard operating procedures with, with resources. And don't look to outsourcing audits. It doesn't work. Thank you very much. Thank you. If there's no other public comment, let's close public comment for agenda item number 10. And since there's no action required, um, this item is closed. Thank you, Ms. Fong, uh, for your excellent presentation. And we look forward to the data that you will be providing us in the future. Thank you. Okay, let's go to agenda item number 11, which is um, discussion of the Ethics Commission's fiscal year 24 25 budget proposal. Um, Director Thackendale. Thank you, Madam Yours. Chair. I'm just bringing up my presentation. I have a brief presentation. Um, hello, Commissioners. Um, 
This is a follow-up discussion uh, to the, the meeting on January 20, uh, 20th when we uh, went over our budget priorities. Um, as you know, uh, the city requires departments to conduct two public uh, hearings on their budget proposals uh, before the budget can be finalized and submitted. Um, Jan 20th was our first uh, meeting, and this is our second uh, public hearing where uh, we will be hearing uh, feedback from you and the public um, on our uh, budget proposal. Um, and you will see um, essentially uh, a lot of the details regarding our budget proposal has been included in the memo. Uh, so in this presentation, I'm just going to keep it at a very high level, but I'm happy to answer any questions at the end. Um, uh, but just as a reminder, key uh, dates, uh, the budget submission is due on February 21st, uh, and the mayor is expected to submit her balanced budget to the board by June 1st and the board is expected to balance, uh, balance the budget and send it back to the mayor for signature by August 1st. So those are the, those are the timelines that we are looking at. Um, and just as a reminder again, um, the instructions to city departments this year from the mayor's office is to propose a budget with a 5% reduction in the first year for FI24 uh, and an 8% reduction in the second year. Um, and we've been asked to look at um, vacancies and to you know reprioritize our work to help achieve uh, these targets. Um, here's a quick snapshot um, of our funding. This is the same as what I presented last time, so I uh, won't go into a lot of details. But essentially, uh, we're looking at um, our current baseline budget for FI24 is 6.9 million, and baseline budget for FI25 is 5.4 million. And we're looking to increase that, uh, which I'll get to in the, uh, in the upcoming slides. Also want to point out that um, well, the commission administers an election campaign fund, which is a, which is separate from um, our departmental operating uh, budget, um, and then currently has a balance of 3.5 million. And we will be uh, we typically provide estimates to the mayor's office based on upcoming elections, and they use that information to make allocations into this fund. Uh, here is a summary of all of the positions uh, that uh, for which funding will expire uh, during this period, during the next two years. Uh, you will see details about these positions and, um, and the justification of the, the impact of, uh, you know, uh, impact on our operations if these positions were not extended beyond these timeframes. Uh, we have two positions for which funding will expire in FI24 and eight positions for which funding will, an additional eight positions for which funding will expire in FI25. Uh, so this comes to a total of about $375,000 in FI24 that we will be asking for, uh, and about uh, $1.9 million uh, in FI25. Um, so uh, this gives you a summary of um, our ask. So we're looking at um, a proposed budget of $7.4 million for FI24, which is a 6.8% increase from what the, the baseline that's allocated to us uh, for this year. And because of all of the additional positions that expire in the following year, uh, we're asking for 7.5 million in the second year, which represents an increase of 37.6%. Uh, um, now, moving to what the mayor's office has requested our departments to do, um, the targets for our department for FI24 to achieve the 5% cut is about uh, $339,000. Uh, and the target for FI25 is $543,000. So 
So in order to achieve that target, uh, in addition to the impact of not being able to support those additional, you know, the 10 positions that I talked about, we will need to keep several other positions open uh, during this period. Uh, and then and I've identified the positions. You know, we the, the first one is the 1844 senior management assistant. Uh, this is a very key role that's been helping. Uh, it's currently vacant, but it, the, this role has been helping candidates and committees with uh, uh, providing them guidance and filing assistance and training and support. Um, and not be not filling this role in the upcoming years will have a huge impact on our ability to support uh, these filers uh, for the 2024 election. Um, the other position is the executive uh, secretary position, which got added as a part of this budget, uh, FI23 budget. Um, this role currently, the, the functions to be performed by this role currently is distributed across staff. So there's a uh, programmatic impact uh, because of uh, that work, which will continue if we don't fund this position. Um, and the third position is an investigator um, role in the enforcement division. Um, this, not filling this position will limit uh, that team's ability to provide, uh, to conduct detailed investigations, um, which again will help reduce uh, case resolution times and increase the, the variety of and severity of cases that we investigate. So um, finally, just to summarize the impact of um, having to take uh, the mayor's uh, target cuts and the expiration of these positions, uh, the impact will be across the board in our department. You know, we'll, we'll, we will see uh, impact on, on the ability to do enforcement, um, the, the, our ability to support the campaign uh, filers and committees, the form 700 filers and committees, one of the positions um, identified in the, as uh, for which funding expires, directly provide support to Form 700 filers. So that area will be affected. Um, there are various uh, disclosures and dashboards that we make available through our website and various systems. Uh, our ability to maintain and support them will also be affected. Um, and the new Ethics at Work training program that we've been working on uh, will also be halted. So um, we are... Uh, asking for any feedback that you may have on the budget. Um, but the next steps would be to, uh, with the, your feedback and the public's feedback, to uh, finalize the budget submission for the Feb 21st deadline. Um, staff is also working on a draft uh, budget statement based on the feedback from the commission from the last meeting. We're hoping to circulate that in a, in a day or so uh, to the commissioners for your feedback, uh, such that we can finalize the statement um, next week and include that, publish that on our website and include that um, as a part of our budget submission. So with that, I will um, wait to hear if you have any uh, questions. Thank you, Director. Um, does any members of the commission wants to comment on anything new from your previous comment from last month? No? Um, Commissioner Bush, I didn't see you. Commissioner Bush, do you have any new comments or recommendations aside from what you said from last meeting? No, I, I, I think it would be helpful in general to have a rundown of the top 10 lobbyists and what it is that they seek to accomplish in a dollar value. 
I think okay. that we need a, a better picture of how much government decisions affect the economy of the city. And that's one way of doing it. Okay. Um, perhaps that would be for the next commission meeting um, outside of the budget discussion. Uh, let's go to public hearing. Public comment, please. Public comment. Thank you, Madam. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. We are checking to see if there are callers in the queue who wish to comment on agenda item number 11. Please stand by. Madam Chair, there are two callers in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. So this presentation <clears throat> given by the person who's in charge of this budget is very general in nature. It doesn't incorporate time go timelines and goals. And it uh, clearly tells you that you all don't have the resources. So how are you all going to fulfill your obligations when it comes to the backlog? Who is doing the quality control of this audit? Or are you all going to hoodwink the public just by saying, oh, you know, we don't have the resources in the first year, we have to cut our resources by 5%. In the second year, by 8%. If uh, you are going to serve the citizens of San Francisco, the taxpayers, you have to have some accountability and transparency. And since it's a core thing for having standards, ethics, morals, you all shouldn't be, uh, you all should be uh, asking for the mayor to give you all the resources, however which way she decides. Because the mayor talks too much. We, uh, she's, made a, she's making a fool of herself. But you commissioners have to stand up to the mayor and say that you all don't need the cuts. Because we, the people, have suffered for three decades with the Ethics Commission failing us. Quinton Cop, some great citizens trying their best to rescue the Ethics Commission, but y'all have failed us, kicking the can down the street. Okay, the general presentation is just that, a presentation. But it does not have goals. It doesn't have timelines. It has no standards. And there is no quality control report given every quarterly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Please stand by for the second caller in the queue. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Great. Can you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. Yes. Great. Uh, David Pilpel, um, hopefully the last time today. Um, so just a, uh, a few quick things. The agenda item description uh, for today lists this as 
Item 11, public comment discussion, possible action regarding Ethics Commission budget proposal for fiscal year 2024 that begins July 1, 2023. Um, that's nice, except that this actually covers two years and is both the fiscal year uh, 2024 and, and fiscal year 2025 uh, budget um, submission. So I don't think it's a fatal error, but I would just encourage staff to be very careful in the, the future on agenda item uh, descriptions. Um, thank you very much for hearing my comments last meeting. Uh, I'm not going to repeat those. I provided some pretty detailed comments on a variety of topics related to the budget last time. Um, and, you know, frankly, I hope the mayor and the board of supervisors will engage with you and the staff uh, on the budget uh, proposals because there are significant uh, shortfalls in uh, the budget year and the second year on positions that expire. And if those staff goes away, if the staff goes away or those positions are unfunded, then it's really going to constrain the uh, commission and the staff's ability to um, fulfill your mandates and do the things that you want to do, some of which have already been talked about uh, today. So uh, in conclusion, I support the budget as proposed. I really, again, hope the mayor and the board will engage on this. I want to thank you for listening to my various comments at today's um, meeting, and I think I'm done for today. Thanks again. Thank you. Any other callers? Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, public comment to agenda item number 10 is closed. Uh, I think that we do need to take action to authorize um, the director to submit the budget to the mayor's office. Do we? Maybe the city attorney can weigh in. I didn't see this as a required action item. I'm sorry, Commissioner, to, what was the question? To, do we need to take action? Yes, the commission, the commission is required under the charter to approve the budget proposal of the department and for, uh, before it goes to the mayor. I move to submit the budget proposal to the mayor. Second. Okay, let's call the roll. Yep. On the motion to submit the budget proposal to the mayor, I will now call the roll. Commissioner Bush? Aye. Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Finlev? Aye. Commissioner Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Romano? Aye. Madam Chair, with five votes in the affirmative, the motion is approved unanimously. Okay, thank you. And I also want to thank our acting director uh, for her really, really uh, diligent work in putting this together. Uh, now let's go to agenda item number 11. Uh, oh, sorry, 12. Um, potential closed session. Um, let me find it. Uh, first, please note that the agenda item number 12E in the matter of probable cause determination is being continued to the March 10th, 2023rd meeting. Therefore, there's no further discussion or action uh, will be taken on this matter at this time. Today's agenda includes a proposed closed session item under item, under item 12D for an update with labor negotiator regarding labor negotiations. This item has been scheduled for the commission's discussion and possible action. Employee relations staff from DHR and city attorney labor attorneys have been invited to be 
with us today, and I do see that we have a representative um, present. The anticipated issue on the negotiation is the status of the meeting confer with the Employee Associate Organization, San Francisco MEA, regarding the ethics commission's gift and ethics recommendations for city law. For purposes of this item, there are four steps that, um, that are involved. First, under item 12A, we will receive public comment on all matters pertaining to agenda item number 12, including whether to meet in closed session. Second, we will then vote on whether to meet in closed session under California Government Code section 54957.6 and Sunshine Ordinance section 67.110E to discuss labor negotiations. This will be an action item as noted in item 12C. Third, if a closed session is held, the commission will initiate a closed session meeting to meet with labor negotiator and following that closed session, we will then reconvene in open session. Fourth, pursuant to Brown Act section 54957.1 and Sunshine Ordinance section 67.12, and as shown under agenda item, we will discuss and vote on the motion regarding whether or not to disclose any action taken or discussions held in closed session regarding the labor negotiations. Any questions? No questions. Does our Deputy City Attorney Rossi uh, want to add anything to the closed session process? No, Commissioner, nothing to add. Thank you. Okay, thank you. If not, let us proceed to public comment. Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are callers in the queue. Please stand by. Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Okay, looks like that caller disconnected from us. Please stand by. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, public comment to agenda item number 12 is now closed. Um, colleagues, do I have a motion to proceed to closed session? I move to. So moved. Seconded. Okay, uh, roll call, please. A motion has been made and seconded to proceed into closed session. I will now call the roll. Commissioner Bush? Aye. Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Finlev? Aye. Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Romano? Aye. With five votes in the affirmative and zero opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Okay, thank you. And we will now move into closed session for update with labor negotiator, um, discussion, and possible action. Uh, update with the regarding the employee organization, the SFMEA, and anticipated issues under negotiation and status of meet and confer, confer concerning the Ethics Commission's proposed gift and ethics recommendations for city law. And for our members of the public, an on-screen notice stating the commission is meeting in closed session while remain will be, remain on for the duration of our closed session. The audio and visuals will resume live once we 
reconvene in open session. We thank you for your patience and we thank you for your engagement. Let's go to closed session. GovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. We want to thank the members of the public for your patience and continued engagement as we now resume our open session meetings. Do I have a motion on whether or not, not whether, not to disclose uh, actions or discussions held in closed session? I move not to disclose. 
close the consent of the closed session. Second. Seconded. Okay. The motion was made and seconded. Let's call. Uh, let's take the roll call, please. On the motion to not disclose closed session deliberations, I will now call the roll. Commissioner Bush. Commissioner Bush not present. Commissioner Flores Fang. Aye. Commissioner Finlev. Aye. Chair Lee. Aye. Commissioner Romano. Aye. With four votes in the affirmative and zero votes opposed, the motion is approved unanimously. Now is agenda item number 13, which is discussion and possible action on items for future meetings. Any suggestions? Kind of inspired by something Commissioner Romano said earlier. I think it might be helpful at some point, it's not urgent, to have an overview of the political committees operating in the city, how many there are, who they represent. Um, this to the audit discussion, because I think it would be helpful for us to understand what is the universe that we're regulating and who's out there. So just as a non-urgent future educational item on a light day, if we have any light days. I have light days. Well, I, I was actually going to try to, I don't know how to say this either, but I was hoping that we could make our days lighter. I think that there's a lot of fat that can be trimmed from these hearings, and I would urge you and staff to, I mean, every word that doesn't need to be said. Um, I think these can be much more efficiently handled. Um, and I would, so I would just encourage everybody to try to be more efficient Pre presenters, ourselves. I, th I think there can be, make these move swifter. Yes. How's that for efficiency? Yeah, I was realizing that my own comments was rambling on a little bit. Agreed. Okay. On all counts. Uh, any other recommendations for future agenda items? Okay. None. Let's go to public comments. Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are any callers in the queue. Please stand by. Madam Chair, there's no callers in the queue. Okay, public comment for 13 is closed. Agenda item number 14, additional opportunities for public comment on matters not appearing on the agenda pursuant to Ethics Commission's bylaws, Article 7, Section 2. Is that what we just did? These are the legal, my understanding is these are the legal wording that. All right. Public Madam Chair, we are checking to see if there are any callers in the queue. Please stand by. Madam Chair, there are no callers in the queue. Okay. Number 15, adjournment. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. Okay.